Welcome to Breitbart News Daily, the short abbreviated version of the full show that's on SiriusXM Patriot. Uh, Want to talk, so, so yesterday we, I think we presented here uh, our hypothetical, although it's not very hypothetical at all, on what you would do, would you burn the whole village down or not? We had a follow up to that with five other stories. Would you shoot this person? If you're in battle, you're in war, would you shoot this person? And I get five different scenarios, real life scenarios, from World War One, World War Two, uh, Spanish Civil War, I think a couple of others. What would you do? Oh, amazing and wonderful phone calls as well. So that's on the full podcast if you're a SiriusXM subscriber. And I think we're going to do one more segment on this tomorrow with one more specific story about uh, submarines. So uh, that's that. Um, today, though, I want to present to you here the segment we did on Halloween and the need to redeem our holidays once again, redeem them from the pagan, secular nonsense that they've become. Here it is. I should have made this point yesterday. Sorry, Halloween kind of snuck up on me. It was yesterday afternoon. I was like, oh, geez. Trick-or-treating today. I hope you had a nice Halloween. I don't mean to be a, a Debbie Downer here. Because we're, we're in the thick of Halloween. Our kids are 7, 5, 3, and 1. So they're like, like, oh, like Halloween is like the greatest thing in the world at this, at this age. It's like, I get it. But it was really last year. It was last Halloween, the build up to it. And I was just driving around the neighborhood. And our neighborhood went, like, it was all in for Halloween. It's like crazy. And I'm like, what is this holiday? <laughs> what even, what are we doing here? What is this thing? How did, how did it, how did it get here? And I did some research. And of course, it, what it is today is nowhere near what it started out as. So today, November 1st, is a holiday, a, a real holy day called All Saints Day. And it's the day we celebrate the Christian martyrs. Halloween used to be All Hallows Eve, meaning the day before, All Hallows. Hallows, and if you go to the original Webster's Dictionary, which is the only dictionary you should go to, 1828. There's a website called Webster'sDictionary1828.com. Hallow means to make holy to consecrate, to set apart for holy or religious use, to devote to holy or religious exercises, to treat as sacred, reverence, to honor as sacred. So as in our, 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 our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So October 31st was All Hallows Eve, and it just got smushed together into Halloween. But it meant the day before All Saints Day, which is today. So the point is Halloween used to be a religious holiday. And now I, th I think it's like the most pagan holiday. <laughs> like it's, it's about candy and dressing up, or, right? Or it's even worse than that, maybe. Like it could be like about gory and satanic stuff, whatever. But that's not what it ever was. But I, like I heard this. I was like, well, yeah, like of course Halloween used to be a religious holiday. All the holidays used to be holy days. They all did. Thanksgiving used to be a day of prayer and fasting. If you read all the original declarations of Thanksgiving from our founding fathers, uh, and, and first presidents, it was a day of prayer and fasting. 
And now Thanksgiving is a day of football and gluttony. It's the exact opposite. You're like, well, yeah, of course. That's progress. Christmas, of course, was about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now it's about Santa and presents. Easter was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now it's the Easter bunny and eggs. These all used to be religious holidays. St. Patrick's Day. What is St. Patrick's Day? St. Patrick's Day is, uh, oh, uh, wear green, drink beer. <laughs> Punch me, I'm Irish or whatever. That's what, that's what it is now. That's not what, and like, they even gave you a hint on that one. It's St. Patrick's Day. Like, we, they, we even got a big hint that this is, a, should be a religious thing. I went my whole life until like last year, not knowing what this guy did. And if you ask anyone who St. Patrick was, they'll be like, oh, I don't know. Or they'll be like, oh, he drove the snakes out of Ireland. No, he didn't. Like, what the, what, or even if he did, like, whatever. Like, that's, what, why are we celebrating a guy who drove snakes out of Ireland? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what a stupid story. But when you know his story, you're like, oh, like, that's awesome. We should definitely have a holiday for this. This is super cool. So the very, very, very short of it on St. Patrick's Day, we'll share the full. But before I even share it, like, so first of all, do you know the story of St. Patrick? Do you know the real story, right? That's the first thing. And like, how could I have gone 30 whatever years of my life and I never heard the story one time? That just shows how fallen of a culture we are. And why is this not the thing that we'd celebrate? So he's not even Irish. He was born in England. He was abducted, put on a slave ship to Ireland. He was a slave for six years escaped back to Ireland, became a Christian, or excuse me, escaped back to England, became a Christian, went back to the people who enslaved him, went back to Ireland to spread the gospel to a lost people. That's what St. Patrick did. Have you ever heard St. Patrick's Day and the gospel put together? No, but that's what it is. It was a, ho- a holy day. It was a holiday. They all were. And all of these holidays have become secularized and completely meaningless. All of them. All of them. Columbus Day isn't even a day anymore. It's now Indigenous Peoples Day. Everything erodes from its original hallowed meaning over time. And this is why we need a true restoration in America in every way. Because America is the same thing. We, America has eroded. Just like all the holidays of America have eroded, America itself has eroded. That's why we need a, a true restoration, return to what was. So I really just want to encourage you, you know, Thanksgiving's the next one. Do whatever you want. That's why I, I just want to show you, do what you want. You are not beholden to our culture. This kind of came up in the last hour too. Don't go with the flow. You are not beholden to our culture. You're not beholden to what your family used to do or always did. Whatever. Like some, like I like traditions. I'm a conservative, but some traditions are dumb and you should stop them and you should make new ones and you should make meaningful and important ones. And there's a way to redeem these holidays and make them important, not just fun, but important and meaningful. That's the real point of them. 
And I think if we did, we'd be a better country because holidays are important for a country. They're important for a people and a culture. They're there for a reason. And we've just gutted them. We've gutted them all. And we just make them like, uh, oh, it's like an excuse to drink on Tuesday. <laughs> like, oh, well, like, it's got to be more than that, right? So all Saints Day today is a day to celebrate Christian martyrs. This is important because we need to know these stories. You want to be emboldened? You want to be a stronger person? You want to be a person with more moral clarity? You want to be a person who knows what really matters in life? Well, you know the story. You need to know these stories. One of my favorite is Perpetua. The very short of it. She lived in 203. Lived under a brutal Roman emperor. And she refused to worship the emperor. And she was thrown in jail. And she was going to be executed at the next gladiator games. So she's in jail. And her father visited her and begged her, pleaded with her to recant her foolish Christian beliefs and do it for me and do it for your baby. Perpetua was 22 years old. She was 22, thrown in prison for being a Christian. And her dad is like, what are you doing? You have your whole life to live. Just and, and like, say whatever you need to say just to get free, to be free. And then once you're out, you can do whatever you want. You can do the foolish Christian stuff, whatever, but... Like, just denounce Jesus now. Get out of prison. Do what you need to do. Give up your pride. And do you know what I mean? Like, but, like, you can be deceitful about it. Just say what you need to say to get out. What would you do? All, all she had to say is, I'm not a Christian. And she would have been free. She wouldn't do it. And her dad, again, her dad even brought in her baby. He said, what are you doing? And she wouldn't do it. And she said to her dad, she said, Father, do you see that bowl over there? What is that? And he said, that's a bowl. She said, of course. Could it be called by any other name than what it is? No. And she said, well, neither can I be called anything other than what I am. A Christian. She couldn't lie. Even when it led to her death, which it did, in a, in a gladiator's arena. She couldn't lie. It's more to the story, Perpetua, if you want to look it up. But what if on Halloween or All Saints Day, we shared stories like this instead of just the goofiness. So if you want to do the, I'm not, I'm not here to be a Debbie. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna walk into a Halloween party and be like, hey everyone, you know, like I'm not gonna, <laughs> right? But what if we did a little bit of both? What if Halloween was once again about heroes? What if we change the stories we told ourselves? What if we change the story that we told in our country? Because there are people in very high positions of authority and power, particularly over your children, who are telling stories. And they're telling compelling stories. But I would argue we have better stories. Ours are true, but they're better. That's a way better story. Even just that simple one is a way better story than America was founded by racists. And you want to talk about racism and slavery? Oh, I got way better stories for you about people overcoming it. 
and overcoming those horrors and not letting it define them. You got way better stories. So I think, all right, well, what if, what if Halloween was what it used to be? What if we told these amazing stories instead? True stories. What would that do to us? Okay, I got an example. I came across this uh, young girl, 19th century. Uh, I can't pronounce her name. Therese of Lizzo. Lizio, Lizio. T-H-E-R-E-S-E of L-I-S-I-E-U-X. And she grew up in a culture where they learned about this stuff. And I think that there's like this, this weird thing where, oh, you know, we don't teach about the heroes. We don't teach about the, the, the amazing people because it, can, it makes people feel bad or something. So instead, the history classes started, they called history from the bottom. They taught history again from like the normal person's perspective as opposed to from the top. And, and maybe there's some value in that, but we've gone all in on that. So, but she, this, this girl was not discouraged. She wasn't discouraged about hearing about our heroes. She was encouraged by it. So she decided to uh, dedicate her life to what she called little deeds. She said, the only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and doing of the least actions for love. Little things, always, to everyone, sacrifice. And she did all these incredible things. I'll leave the story there. But she went on and did these like little, little things that, built, that turned into big things. And I love that because you hear about these great heroes who came before us and it shouldn't be discouraging. It should be inspiring. Even if we'll never do the great things. Right? Like I, we, we talked about Abraham Lincoln in the last hour. Like I will never be the commander in chief that wins the civil war. Like, right? But we can all do great things by doing little things in a great way. And that's what she figured out. So I just want to encourage us to think about how we used to do things in this country. We used to be the great, well, we're still, we're hanging on, but we're still the greatest country in the world. What made us the greatest country in the world? Well, let's figure that out. And one of the things was we had holidays with real meaning behind them, with real significance that taught us to be better, that taught us, that, that had lessons that were worthy to be passed down to our children. And dare I say, a country with less Halloween and more All Hallows' Eve. Let me do a half pivot here. But it's not really. Talk about stories. If we redeemed our holidays, then we would have a culture that talked and thought more about the important things and that talked and thought more about the soul. And dare I say, we'd have a lot less problems. I want to pivot to Matthew Perry just for a moment. I don't know. You may be over this. I don't know. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're still crying about Matthew Perry, about Chandler Bing. Matthew Perry is a uh, perfect, uh, what's the word? Example. Better, better word I'm thinking of. Just case study, if you will of how fame, being rich and famous, won't solve any of your problems. There's so many people who think being rich and famous will solve it all, and it won't. Not even close. 
And we live in a country today where if you ask kids what they want to be when they grow up, it's famous. It's not even rich so much. It's mostly famous. That's a real problem. That's a real problem that we don't talk enough about. Kids used to want to become doctors. What did you want to be when you grew up? Right? You want to be a doctor or a veterinarian or a policeman or a fireman. Right? That's what everyone wanted to be. Right? But now you ask kids today what they want to be and they want to be a famous athlete or they want to be an influencer. An influencer? What are you, what are you talking about? Kids are obsessed with fame. And fame won't solve any of your problems. If anything, it'll make them all worse. Being famous will mess you up. It is dangerous. Gets your head. You don't know who your friends are. You don't know who to trust. Can't go anywhere. If you're famous for being an actor, that's even worse. Because people don't even love you. They love Chandler Bing. So that's even more messing with your head. They're like, oh, Matthew Perry, people love you. He's like, no, they don't. No, no one knows me. I go somewhere and they're like, oh, I love you, Chandler. He's like, I'm not Chandler. I it's the famous um, uh, uh, John Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey line. He said, I think everybody should be rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. It's not it. Notice none of the stories that we that one would share on All Saints Day or All Hallows Eve are about being rich and famous. But those are all the only stories we tell kids today. That's why that's all they want to be. Think about that. All they want to be is rich and famous. Why? Because that's all they ever hear. That's all they ever see. Oh, but Slater, what about the money? The money would be good, right? Uh, Matt Perry had a net worth of $120 million. How'd it go for him? It's meaningless. Do you think your life would be better if you had $120 million? Hmm. I don't know. Talk to all the lottery winners. Talk to all the lottery winners who, who destroyed their families, lost all their friendships, and now they're broke again. We'll solve all your problems. I don't think so. Uh, in 2000, so he started out, Matthew Perry started out making $22,000 an episode. Then by year three, it was $100,000 an episode. Then it was a million, a million dollars an episode. And how much do you think he makes in syndication? Made in syndication. Every year, Matthew Perry, I presume all of them, got a check for $20 million. Could you imagine if you signed into your, your uh, bank account right now online? You went in and it was $20 million. And every year, you couldn't spend it all. $20 million for doing now for doing nothing, just forever coming in. And he lived in a big house in Malibu with a pool, and it didn't solve any of his problems. And don't take my word for it. This is an interview he did with his book that came out just a couple years ago. I think this is the part of it. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I... I had the American dream happen to me. I got the great job. I was good at it. I had a, I bought a house. I, the house had a pool. Uh, you know, I was had the American <laughs> dream. And I really, really liked it. Loved it for about six months. And then I walked in my house and went, oh, man, this is not fixing this problem that I have. 
How is that possible? And I wanted to finish the Craig Bierko story because it was really pivotal. And it, oh, real quick, so background of this. So Matthew Perry and Craig Bierko, they were buddies for a long time. And they were on a sitcom called Sydney for one year, and it didn't work. But they knew each other, obviously. And Craig Bierko got the role of Chandler Bing first. This other guy, Craig Bierko, got the role, and he turned it down. He turned it down, and he said, hey, Matt, you should try out for this role. I think you'd be really good for it. And Matthew Perry got it. Oh, that's Craig Bierko. It, it was important. Um, so Craig Bierko, after he didn't get Friends, and Friends was on for two years and was a massive hit, Craig didn't speak to me for those two years. I would call him. He wouldn't return my calls, and he just didn't want to be my friend anymore. Real quick, did you hear the people laugh in the background? People didn't get where the story's going. <laughs> they thought it was funny. That's interesting. Maybe they can hear it again here. Call him. He wouldn't return my calls, and he just didn't want to be my friend anymore. All right, let me go back again. It's worth it. Craig didn't speak to me for those two years. I would call him. Right. He wouldn't return my calls, and he just didn't want to be my friend anymore. Um, so two years into it, he called me up on the phone and said, can we meet? I'd like to talk with you. I said, of course. Yes, great. Um, so he came over to my apartment, and he said, I'm sorry that I have not called you in two years. I could not handle that you got rich and famous on a show that I turned down. We were both good enough to get that role. And I said, of course we were. But let me tell you something, pal. It doesn't do what we all thought it would do. And we were 24 years old having that conversation. And he didn't believe me, nor would anybody believe me. But it was true. That's why I said to him, I wanted to help him out. I wanted to say, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't solve the problem, you know. There are, let me bring it back to Halloween. So the way to redeem Halloween. Today's All Saints Day. You celebrate the life of Christian martyrs. That's what the point of All Saints is. The day before Halloween should be a day where we think about death. You should be thinking about death. Because it's coming and we do the best we can to ignore it. People don't want to think about death. People don't want to think about death because they don't want to confront the question that inevitably comes when you think about death. And the question is, where am I going next? And I don't want to think about that bad place because if I think about that bad place, it means I may have to change my life now. And I don't want to change my life now. I'd rather just ignore the whole question. So I want nothing to do with death, but that's what Halloween should be about. It should be about your own mortality. The Stoics always, always taught, they had a uh, expression in ancient, uh, ancient times called memento mori. A memento mori. It means remember that you have to die. They thought about it all the time. Death is inevitable. People used to be around it all the time too. It's just a part of life. People would have, you know, a bunch of kids. The kids would die all the time. 
uh, kill animals. There's death everywhere. You didn't send people off to nursing homes to die. There's dying in your house. Just dying all the time. There's death everywhere. There used to be death everywhere. And today, people go their whole life without thinking about death. And a family, family members dying, but they're way, dying like way over there. You don't really see them. Epicurus, the ancient philosopher, he said, rehearse for death. Rehearse for death. Why? Because death, they said, is the master fear. There's nothing people are more afraid of than dying. And it's a pain that's so enormous, the safest thing to do is to ignore it all entirely. But this is what Halloween should be about. It should be about thinking about death because uh, are you ready? Are you ready? And are you living your life now in a way that's worth it? You ready for this advice? It's not mine. Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius gave advice to Epictetus. Brace yourself for this. He said, as you kiss your son goodnight, whisper to yourself. You with me? Your kid, as you, as you kiss your son goodnight, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. And you're thinking, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That is the absolutely worst thing imaginable. What are you talking about? Well, when you face that reality, you suddenly become overwhelmingly grateful for every moment. If you face that reality, that you could lose a child or a husband or wife at any moment, you dare not waste a moment of it. And Marcus Aurelius lost nine children. Nine of his kids died, so he knows heartbreak. He knows this. As you kiss your son goodnight, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. That's thinking about death. But is that bad? Do you think that's bad? Oh, I think it's essential. And it's probably the thing we do the least in our culture today. We need to be thinking about this. Actually, the fact that, that we don't, is one of the themes of my life and this, this show is, uh, we haven't done it too much yet, is perhaps the opposite is true. So when you're told something that is, that, that is presumed to be true, you have to ask yourself, well, hold on. Perhaps the exact opposite of that is true. <laughs> and it very often is. It very often is. The exact opposite. Not the thing you're told. The opposite of the thing you're told is true. So the fact that no one in our culture thinks about death or talks about death, that should be such a blatant sign that that clearly needs to be the thing that we talk about all the time. If the world is ignoring it, there's a reason why. And we need to be focused on it. Think about it often because it'll make you grateful for the present. And it will remind you that life is precious. And it will keep you eternally minded because eternal mindedness is where true joy and glory is found. C.S. Lewis uh, has a great line. And this is, I think, in, I think it's in, uh, what's the book with the um, screw tape letters? He says, the devil wants you to live in regret for the past. Uh, he wants you to live in regret for the past or worry for the future. He wants you out of the present. He doesn't want you focused on the present. He wants you to be full of regret for the past or worry for the future. He doesn't want you focused on the present because the present is the point at which time touches eternity. And all, all we have in our culture is anxiety and regret because we're focused on the past and the future and no one's focused on the present. 
And therefore, we're not in touch with eternity. And no one wants to touch death. I'll end on this story. We'll take a break. Uh, it's probably not true, this story, but I like it anyway, so I'll share it. Uh, there would be these Roman triumphs. It's like a military victory, a big parade. And the Roman general would parade, would parade down the street. And like, could you imagine like the hoopla? Of the, when's the last time there was a ticker tape parade in New York City? Like a real one, not like for the WNBA team or whatever. But like this, I couldn't imagine like this huge grand procession, uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. And you have this uh, the general here who's just being showered with praise. From, and during this procession, a slave would stand behind the general, and every so often, would say. Hominum teasse momento, momento mori. Say, look behind you. Remember that you are but a man. Remember that you will die. It's the ultimate antidote to pride. If you look at any paintings of the pilgrims, they didn't do a lot of them. But any portraits of our pilgrims, the first Americans, there's always a skull, always a skull in the background because they were thinking about death. They thought about death all the time because it kept them focused on what really mattered. Life is short. Death is final. Let's stop messing around and let's redeem our holidays. And I believe if we redeem our holidays, we can redeem our country as well. Terrific numbers about our border. 600,000. I was going to say 6,000. I was going to say 6,000 because that seemed like a big number. 600,000 known gotaways in this last fiscal year on our border. Known gotaways. Who knows how many unknown gotaways? We don't know. Could be 10. Could be a million. We have no idea how many unknown gotaways. They're unknown. But we're over 3 million illegal immigrants in this country. That's more than uh, Iowa. More than the state of Iowa in one year. Unbelievable. Mayorkas spoke in front of the Senate yesterday, and John Binder was here today to tell us all about it. Here he is. Hey, John, can you hear me? Yes. There you go. What's going on, man? Thanks for being here. So uh, the head of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, spoke in front of a Senate committee yesterday, and he was asked a couple questions. Uh, Let's do the specific one here first. This is from uh, Josh Hawley. He said, would you revoke these visas for foreigners, foreign students who are saying pro-Hamas things, not even necessarily pro-Palestine, but pro-Hamas things, would you revoke their student visas? What did he say? Uh, Well, he effectively said that uh, no. I mean, you know, the administration is not looking at um, doing such a thing, which would be entirely... Um, under the context of the law, the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, you know, gives the administration the power, as we've seen with the Trump administration, where, you know, they had the travel ban that was fought in court, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and was, of course, ruled constitutional because 
any administration has uh, huge, broad powers over immigration policy, um, including revoking visas for folks that it chooses to. Um, and this would apply naturally to people that are espousing um, rhetoric that would be in support of a foreign terrorist organization. Um, the administration could absolutely do this. And uh, he just kind of, Mayorkas simply brushed that off as something that would need to be reviewed um, because it is a legal interpretation issue. Um, but John Kirby at the White House previously said that this was not something that they were looking at um, by any means to revoke the F-1 student visas of those, you know, at all of these um, pro-Hamas rallies across college campuses in the United States, um, which is just honestly astounding um, that this would not be a priority at the moment um, for the administration. And it really speaks to the philosophy of the Biden administration when it comes to national immigration policy. It shows that they believed that people have a right to immigrate to the United States. Um, and that has never been the case under federal law. That has never been the case in American history. Uh, you do not have the right to immigrate to the U.S. Um, it is a privilege. And you know, refusing to revoke visas for folks that are supporting a foreign terrorist organization would indicate uh, that they they believe that the U.S. is here for people to walk right into, regardless of their opinions. Yeah, so I am a free speech extremist. So I have a very different, a pretty stark standard when it comes to freedom of speech for a citizen of the United States of America and a very low bar for foreigners here in the United States of America. High bar for citizens, low bar for foreigners, especially when you consider that most of the people who are here illegally are here on an overstayed visa. Isn't it something like 60% of the illegal immigrants came on an overstayed visa? Yeah, that's correct. It's about half. And, I mean, you look at what happened um, you know, on 9-11 and the number of you know, 9-11 hijackers that when the terrorist attacks occurred that day were actually on visas that they had overstayed. A number of them were, whereas, you know, the other half were here um, on visas that we gave them and had not yet expired. Mm. Um, so this is, this is an incredible point for Republicans when they're talking about national immigration policy, because we often hear the um, very low IQ rhetoric of illegal immigration is bad and legal immigration is good. Well, we're talking about legal immigration um, because the 9-11 hijackers came here legally. Um, the federal government accidentally gave a green card, approved Khalid Sheikh Mohammed for a green card, after 9-11, accidentally, that it would be legal immigration by the federal government standard. Um, and this issue with the pro-Hamas foreign F-1 visa students rallying on college campuses, that is an issue of legal immigration. So, no, not all legal immigration is good. Great point. Uh, so, Mayorkas also confirmed yesterday that there are 600,000 known gotaways 
So you take the the ones we like caught, even though we released them back here. Uh, so you got those versus known gotaways. You're over three million, so that's more than the population of Iowa, plus the unknown mm. gotaways. We don't even know who snuck across and made it. Uh, you're 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 well well over three million people. And he was asked how many of those people that have been arrested at the border are on the terror watch list. And he said that that data could be provided at an appropriate setting, so not in public. But you've been reporting on this and how many people are coming from these these uh, places of interest. How do you get these numbers and what are they? Sure. Um, I mean, I think it's over 73,000 at this point, um, the so-called special interest alien category, which are folks that are not listed on necessarily on the terrorist watch list, um, but they're coming from countries and they have movements of travel that would indicate like a nexus to terrorism. Um, and those are folks that have come to the U.S.-Mexico border and were released into the U.S. interior by the Biden administration. Uh, I, I think we're approaching 200 illegal aliens that arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border just this fiscal year um, who had matches on the terrorism watch list. And those are the folks that Mayorkas refuses to publicly detail um, you know, which countries and which terrorist organizations they are affiliated with and arriving from, uh, which would seem to be something that the public would absolutely have an interest in knowing. And, um, you know, it, it, I know that there are a number of lawsuits in court over this where, um, you know, the Immigration Reform Law Institute, as well as the Center for Immigration Studies, is suing in court to get public the records related to the illegal aliens who are arriving, who are matches on the terrorist watch list, because that is something that the public should absolutely know and be aware of, and that the administration does not want to be forthright about for obvious reasons. Amazing. The, the, so you said 73,000 on, on these special interest aliens from these countries. But the fact that there are even 200 who are on the terror watch list, we, we know you're on the terror watch list and you come across and we catch you, 200 of those people, what would they be doing here if not nefarious things? There's no way they're from Yemen or wherever and they're a known terrorist and they're coming here to get a better life for themselves and their families and get their kids right. in school, right? Like what, <laughs> what are we talking about? Like. Um, all right, we got to run, John, but you wrote another great article about the mayor of New York City. And I, I thought this was an old clip that you put up uh, because remember a couple weeks ago, what did he say a couple weeks ago at this town hall? It was like uh, it, it'll, the city you know and love is being destroyed or something by these illegal immigrants. Yes, yes. And now here he is yesterday said this is devastating for our city. So he's doubling down. We literally got 30 seconds, but what do you think about Eric Adams continuing down this this road here? which, you know, he's a Democrat. He shouldn't be, right? Well, Eric Adams knows exactly what's happened to New York, and unfortunately he's unable to talk about certain issues such as the housing problem in New York, which is absolutely being exacerbated by massive waves of illegal immigration on top of the legal immigration that New York City is constantly having to deal with, and that is driving prices up. He recognizes that. And it's a huge problem for him, you know, as mayor. 
Well, and uh, devastating for our city, devastating for our country. John Binder, Breitbart.com. Thanks, John. Appreciate you. I'm American made. I got American parts. I got American Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, again, we have that final hypothetical we'll talk about on tomorrow's show, probably at 7 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock, the great Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be here as well. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. Stars in my eyes. I'm in love.